What is up, you guys? I'm back. Episode 3, Sauce Lab Podcast, Jason Schwartz. You already know the deal. I want to hop right into this episode. <laughs> I'm so- Th- that was a very weird start, but what's up, you guys? Uh, I'm happy to be back. I've been looking forward to this episode, too. I've actually started to really love doing this, and I'm so glad that I really took the initiative and started this podcast because the love that I've been getting from fans both on Instagram and Spotify and YouTube and so many different platforms like that has been fantastic. I'm so glad that you guys really like it. I know that it's very football nerdy stuff, but I'm so glad that I really got myself to do this. And now I'm here and we're doing it. So I'm going to start it right off immediately with a new segment that I'm going to try to fit into every single episode. And that's just going to be news from the week in a minute. Just if you're going to be listening to the podcast, I assume that you have been following up with the NFL as the week has gone on. But I want to just do a 5 to 10 bullet point biggest things that have happened this week to start off every single podcast without much analysis, just to really say what's gone on. And I also think that that'll be a fun little time capsule type thing that you could go back to old episodes and see, oh my god, this is the week that yada yada was traded and they retired and stuff like that. I just think that'll be kind of fun and cool. We're going to start it off. Put a minute on the clock. We're going to start it off in three, two, one, go. Alright, so the Eagles traded Carson Wentz to the Colts for a third this year and a second or first next year, depending on what the percentage of how much Carson Wentz plays. Sadly, Vincent Jackson was found dead in his hotel room in Florida. Matt Milano, the linebacker for the Bills, will likely test free agency. The Eagles have cut receiver Deshaun Jackson and receiver Alshon Jeffrey, as well as D-tackle Malik Jackson. The Panthers cut Kwan Short and Trey Boston. Kenny Galladay is a strong consideration for the franchise tag, which the period starts on Tuesday, which is supposed to be the day that this is uploaded. And J.J. Watt, who was recently cut, is still looking for a home. And there's been multiple rumors swirling around about the Packers and the Steelers and the Browns and different teams like that. So that is it for this week's big news. Now we are going to head into my first article of the video, or first like thing of the video which is my 15 players who will break out this season. Now, this is a big episode. This is something, this is probably my favorite part about football in general, is predicting and guessing when a player is going to break out before they do. So this is something that I put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into. I would like a big disclaimer that I will be doing another 15 players that I'm looking forward to seeing this season after the entire offseason. I'm going to do one before and one after. These are players that some of them are at highest, maybe just Pro Bowl, barely Pro Bowl level, and some of them are fourth, fifth, sixth string guys that for some reason are looking to get a huge boost this season because of some opportunity that I see formulating for them. Also, another thing with all 15 of these guys is that they're all in their first, second, or third year in the league. I think that that is obviously prime time for when a player breaks out and gets to see who they really are. It's very uncommon that a player past 26 is breaking out, quote-unquote. I mean, obviously, they might have consistent progression in their career, but a breakout year is really that huge uptick from 
whatever they were, to what they can be. And I think that all 15 of these players are in a fantastic situation in the coming years and will really do the best with what they've got. So we're going to start it off with one of my my guys, guy that I've been so excited for over the last year, and then sadly he had an injury, a very big season-ending injury, but he will be coming back this coming year for his sophomore season with vengeance, and that is quarterback Joe Burrow from LSU of the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that he gets this big uptick opportunity from having this healthy season. Last year was his rookie season, and I think around week six or seven, he had an injury that sidelined him for the rest of the year and put Ryan Finley in, in a position that really just wasn't fit to win. Tyler Boyd, a player that looked like a Pro Bowl-level talent with Burrow, was now looking like this obsolete who-cares receiver. But now with Boyd back with Burrow, as well as the emergence of T. Higgins, another rookie that they picked in the second round last year, I think that those two receivers are so much better than A.J. Green was at all last year, and it's a great place to start on an offense that could really start to get going. I think the team is very motivated. I think that they're still so young all around the board. Uh, their tight end is not fantastic, but I think Joe Mixon can easily open up the run game. Jonah Williams is now back and playing, so hopefully their offensive line gets some more oomph. I can't guarantee that Zach Taylor is going to be the guy, but what I think that we're going to be saying at the end of the season is that the Bengals team showed a lot of progression, and Joe Burrow showed that he's at least a franchise guy that they should sign to a contract and continue to groom and continue to get offensive weapons around to make that same sort of Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield type, like add all the stuff around him and let's get going, let's start to win this thing. Obviously, I can't say that the Bengals are the team to do that, especially with what they have right now, but I think Joe Burrow does have the talent and he could do it. The the thing that I see the most and I keep remembering in my mind is the Bengals-Steelers game when the Steelers were just starting to go into their big skid. And that Bengals team looked so fierce. uh, One of the biggest things that keeps continually replaying in my head was after Von Bell had, I forget if it was an interception or a forced fumble, and he sort of like did a high step dance out of bounds. And I was like, this is the first time since I can remember that the Bengals even looked at, even had somewhat of a swagger and it was just off the defense but it was this undefeated team that's in the division and they were finally showing up and they kicked their ass with Giovanni Bernard and this like rundown not fantastic roster against what was an undefeated or up to the Washington game but was doing so good and then they just shut him down. I think if the Bengals can get that type of mentality going into the season with Joe Burrow, that's how he's a pro bowler and really makes the jump that's necessary. Next guy on my list, Devin DuVernay out of Texas, receiver for the Ravens. I think that he gets his opportunity from, honestly, a lack of quality starting receivers that are currently on the Ravens. And a big thing that of reasoning why I can say now that they will have a lack of receivers is because I don't see many people in free agency or many players wanting to sign with a team that rarely throws to its receivers. The offense is based around Lamar Jackson and based around Mark Andrews and based around the run game of three or four running backs, which is 
will actually be brought up later that they run a three or four running back set. But if there's going to be a receiver that emerges when Lamar has an uptick in how in his passing game, I think that Duvernay is the one that's going to get that. Hollywood Brown was very inconsistent last year. And he is now, in his second year, going to be stepping into a much bigger role. I think he's the possession receiver that can, like, very strong, very in-your-face, that can complement Hollywood so well. Maybe even run him with some sweeps and some receiver screens and things like that to really rack up his yards. And I think he could easily be a 1,000 yards from scrimmage, 5 to 10 touchdowns, 5 to 10, and could really get a fantastic opportunity this season. The next guy I have is DJ Dallas, running back for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that he's going to get his opportunity from Chris Carson, maybe leaving in free agency. After his most recent performance in the playoffs, Russell Wilson is somewhat on the hot seat. His name has definitely been involved in rumors. I think that overall he will be kept, but whether this is what he likes or not, I don't think this is a let Russ cook team. I think that they're still going to be run first. And even if they do re-sign Chris Carson, I don't see DJ Dallas losing the running back two job to Rashad Penny, who had somewhat of a productive season last year as running back two. So if DJ Dallas can step up and take what Penny has done, then he's at least going to be in a very solid situation. When there was big injury woes, Dallas stepped up last season. He's the guy that I think he's the youngest on that roster. They don't technically need to re-sign Chris Carson, and I could definitely see a situation where they leave the offseason with Dallas being the running back one. If that's the case, then everybody's going to be talking about him, and I'm going to be the first to have said that he's going to break out. So, so be it. The next guy that I've got on my list is Alex Highsmith, an edge for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think that he is going to have his opportunity because of the departure of Bud Dupree, a right outside linebacker that they're likely going to be losing in free agency. He's going to be asking for very big bucks. And the Steelers, I don't know if that's what they should be putting all of their money into. Well, it is a very big possibility that they do re-sign him and that they even sign J.J. Watt. I know that that is a possibility. But say that those things don't happen. Highsmith gets elevated into a role where he's now going to be rushing the quarterback at a very, very consistent level. When he, when Bud Dupree went down with the injury last year, he stepped in and really did the job perfectly. Not to mention that edge rusher is something where the edge rushers around you are really going to affect your pressure at the quarterback so much too. So when you have a Stephon Tuitt and Cam Hayward and TJ Watt causing pressure amongst all sides and really throwing the quarterback off, that's going to open easy gaps for Highsmith to blitz and get to the quarterback, which is exactly what you want. I think that he could definitely be a 10-sack guy this coming season and for many seasons to come. He showed flashes last year. He was a rookie, and now he's coming into his sophomore season. That's where a lot of edges really take that jump, and I think that he is going to do just that. The next guy on my list that I have is Adam Troutman, the tight end for the New Orleans Saints. I think that he will be getting his opportunity from a complete change in the offense, as well as the likely cutting of Jared Cook. Last year, they took Troutman in the third round, and I thought that was one of the best picks of the draft. I loved his upside, and he showed that in the limited snaps that he got in the first season. I think that now that Taysom has completely evolved away from this receiver tight end, and I know that he'll still do a couple runs, but he now just feels more like a mobile quarterback, more than a half tight end. Josh Hill isn't worth anything, and 
I frankly don't even see him being on the team next year, as well as Jared Cook. So Troutman is going to fill in that tight end one role in an offense that we've seen Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook, different players really thrive in as a tight end. Mike Thomas is back, which is obviously going to help that situation. And whoever the quarterback is, I just don't really see a situation where they're not going to use him. I think that he is going to be what people want Cole Komet to be this year, just because of the pick of where he was. But if there's going to be a sophomore breakout tight end, I would have to give it to Troutman. The next guy on my list is actually kind of a combination of two guys. It's... One guy that I like a bit more than the other, but depending on what happens in free agency, this player might not even be back with the team that I'm saying. He's technically at the end of his contract, but I really do see them re-signing him for whether it's a short amount of time or a longer amount of time. And that is Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson, both wide receivers for the LA Chargers. The reason why I see these guys breaking out is because I just see this offense blowing up with Justin Herbert at the helm. We've seen it so consistently that the really elite quarterbacks who throw for 4,200 and more yards use three receivers and make three receivers really great. I know that they have Keenan Allen. I know that they have Mike Williams, but they're losing Hunter Henry likely this offseason, going to give them many more targets. They're young, and they showed so, both of them showed so much potential in the limited snaps that they got first season. What I could really see happening, uh, I think Mike, at, Mike Williams is one of the best go-up-and-get-it receivers in the league, and I could really see him having a somewhat productive year. Then the Chargers let him go. He goes to another team and turns into this explosive wide receiver one, but, and then either Guyton or Tyron Johnson takes over at the two-role. I do need to see them have that uptick in production to actually get to that wide receiver too, especially if Mike Williams leaves. But if he does, I think that both of those guys are primed to have a really great season, a very under-the-radar, even a great fantasy season, where they could do sort of what Russell Gage was doing earlier in the year, what McCole Hardman does sometimes, and things like that, where it's just a speedy downfield guy couple 50-yard passes to them, and they've got it in the bag. Next guy on my list, probably talent-wise, the best on the list, and that is defensive tackle Quinnen Williams for the New York Jets. Uh, Williams, a couple years ago, was the third pick in the draft, right after Nick Bosa, and while he hasn't performed up to the same level as Nick Bosa, I think that he's shown so many signs of potential, especially in this last year. He did fantastic in the pass rush game, fantastic in the run game at that defensive tackle slot. I think that the two biggest things that are going to lead to his even more success this year are one is Fuloronzo Fatukasi, the other defensive tackle for the Jets. I think is going to really create pressure that will allow Quinn to get to the quarterback and actually have not Aaron Donald's similar numbers, but Aaron Donald's just some, another defensive tackle that rushes from the inside that gets a lot of sacks that I can think of that I think that Quinnen really could be, be very, very similar to. And then the other one, which is the biggest, is that Robert Sala, the former defensive coordinator for the 49ers, is now the head coach of the Jets. And what we saw him do with that defensive line and take Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead was he turned three guys that were 
good, they were fine, into a Super Bowl caliber D-line, and I could see him, while it might not be Super Bowl caliber yet, I could see that same sort of progression coming in the Jets line with John Franklin Myers, Fatu Kasi, and Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams taking on that DeForest Buckner role and really emerging himself from an eh, maybe was he worth the third pick, to a disruptor that'll really wreak havoc on the offense and F up any single play call that could happen. The next player that I have on my list is Legereus Sneed, the cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think he gets his opportunity from likely stepping into the cornerback one role this year. We saw him shine through the playoffs up until that last game. I mean, not even that he played poorly in that last game, but a player that a rookie who was taking who was guarding wide receiver ones and getting great coverage on them. I think he's only going to take the bigger step this year. Also, because of the offense that Kansas City runs, they're going to be passing the ball a lot, which is causing the other offense to continue to throw and catch up, which will only give Snead more and more reps in a throwing situation to rack up interceptions. And obviously, I like you could argue that it's better on the other side to not have a passing. But if they're going to continue to pass and Snead can really step, step up into the player that I think that he could be, then that's going to put the Chiefs in a fantastic situation for years going forward. Next, I have Patrick Queen of the middle linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, the second Baltimore Raven that is on my list. And I think that he's getting his opportunity from being the new face of a faceless defense. I think that the best defenses in the league, the Ravens are definitely in that discussion, but for, and it sounds strange because usually you don't want this locker room bug, but the loud guy on defense really does help. And the Rams have Jalen Ramsey, and the Seahawks have Jamal Adams, and all these teams have, and I'd even go as far as to say Marshawn Lattimore is that for the Saints, and all these teams have this big ego on the defense. And I think of the Ravens, their best players. I mean, you could make the argument that Marcus Peters is probably the most vocal guy, but it it used to be Earl Thomas in that veteran role. He's now gone. Matt Judon will likely be leaving. Calais Campbell, for as good and as much experience in the league as he's had, I think that his talent production has just fallen enough that he can't be the quote-unquote face of the defense so the player that I see next stepping into that role is Patrick Queen I think that his biggest thing is that he will need to improve his pass coverage but there's even a possibility that they're going to slide him to an outside linebacker who's going to play this coverage blitz role Uh, he had second most QB hits out of all middle linebackers he I think will even be rushing the quarterback more without Matt Judon and they need these linebackers to step up and become better at getting to the quarterback. So if he shifts and starts to become more of that type of player, so be it. But I really did love what I saw out of his aggressiveness and his ability to get to the player and make the tackle in the first season that I think that he could be this new face of a fantastic team in general. I mean, I'd say defense, but... The, the team in general, I really think that they're going to get it all fixed. And what we saw out of them at the very end of last year before their loss in the playoffs was what they could continue to do for many, many seasons to come as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy. W- with that cornerback tandem, with that linebacker room, with the D-line, I think it's time to take the Ravens seriously. 
and I'll even say another guy that has to do with that. Uh, the next guy on the list is Justice Hill, the running back for the Baltimore Ravens. I think that the reason why I have him on this list is because the Ravens have always ran this run-heavy scheme. They were, I think, top three in the league in total rushing yards this year and number one the year prior. Browns took that crown this year. But being that they run a quarterback consistently and three receivers, last year it being uh, Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards in the beginning of the season and then Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins at the end of the season, then Mark Ingram leaves and Gus Edwards is a free agent, what I end up seeing them do is making Dobbins the marquee back and then having Justice Hill get that secondary role, who's a guy that in his, he was a rookie two years ago, but I've seen so many flashes, I thought he was so talented, and in the limited snaps that he's got, even when like another running back goes down, he's really made the most of a situation. So in a run-heavy offense that doesn't have the receivers to be a, ha- a pass-happy offense, when they will 100% use the number two guy, if he does get to that number two role, then I really think that he's the guy. Or the, the guy for number two. The, the guy is J.K. Dobbins, you know what I mean. The next player that I have on my list is Matt Pert, the O-tackle for the Giants. I think that it's obviously hard to predict an offensive tackle's progression, but I wanted to definitely put somebody from every position group onto here. And when I looked at the O-tackles that were young, that were coming into their second year, that were going to not man the O-line, but be guys that need to step up where there's not the insane amount of talent on the other side, I think Matt Pert definitely comes to mind. Now, with the fall of Andrew Thomas, I'm not going to say fall, that he's completely fallen out of oblivion and he's definitely still going to be that starting left tackle but on the right side if Thomas continues to struggle and Pert shows that he is good then that's going to be this complete switch in New York the return of Saquon Barkley will also definitely help him in the run blocking game because for as much as it is the O-line's job to block Barkley is fantastic at breaking tackles and doing what you need to do to pick up those yards, which will only make Pert look so much better. And then also, for as much as I personally don't think that he's going to reach that same improvement that Giants fans want, I do think that Daniel Jones has to improve somewhat at getting the ball out faster and limiting his turnovers, which will result, obviously, if he's getting the ball out faster, in better play from the O-line. So Matt Pert is my offensive lineman. Next player on my list is somebody that I actually talked about last episode, if you had listened. It is the safety for the Washington football team, Carmen Curl. Curl went under the radar as a rookie last year, really hopping onto the scene at the end of the season. But I think he's going to get his opportunity from that incredible front seven bull rush that I was talking about. And with Ron Rivera's weird defensive schemes, I think he could have a safety that's consistently... Rush blitzing the passer in the box. I could see three, four interceptions, three, four sacks, and a couple forced fumbles out of him this season. I know that might sound like an insane stat line for somebody who's only in his sophomore season, but if he does get this starting safety role, which I assume he'll get, I mean, I, I have heard that they're rumored to be in the mix for safeties and free agency, but I think that if he does get this role then he will maximize the most of his time and really go off. 
Next guy that I've got on the list. Actually, I think this might fall outside of my drafted within the last three years idea. So I'm sorry if this does, but it's Hayden Hurst, the tight end for the Falcons. Previously, tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. They made a trade for him, and now he is in Atlanta. Last season, he was somewhat productive. I actually had him on my fantasy team, and it was very hard to consistently start him because when I'd start him, he'd get five, and when I'd bench him, he'd get 20. It was a disappointing and rough series of games for him at some points, but then other times he really looked like very similar to Austin Hooper and took on a role that could easily be a top five tight end in the league role as the Falcons tight end. Matt Ryan has always loved to throw to his tight ends. Uh, There's no running back that's fantastic on the team. Ido Smith is currently looking like their number one running back, but if they can get a better running back, I think that that could open up the play action game. And what I see most is that Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Titans, has now come to Atlanta, who they consistently used. Jonu Smith broke out, Shaheen, Ferkser, and these other guys that weren't as big names, but they would still consistently get plays in the short pass game. I could see Hurst having five to nine receptions a game, which is great for a tight end, and in, in the short game a lot more. I don't know if I could see him being this unreal red zone threat. I think that's still going to be Julio Jones and or run the ball in. But with Calvin Ridley and Julio on the outside, I think that there could be a lot, a lot of receptions to give to the tight end. Matt Ryan consistently throws for so many yards. And I should only hope that the offense is going to improve from the fall short type offense that they had last year. So I see Hayden Hurst having a Pro Bowl season in his right as well. Next one on my list is Isaiah Coulter, received from the Houston Texans. This is a player that I didn't mention when I broke down the Texans last week, but he's last year he was a rookie, and now it's really he's going to be getting this opportunity of what I hope is a shredding of the roster where young players are going to get looks. Uh, Chad Hansen and him are going to be as of right now, if they go through with what I was saying last week in getting rid of Randall Cobb, getting rid of Brandon Cooks, and not re-signing Will Fuller, it looks like those are going to be their top two guys. Now, obviously, I think that they'll add other guys, but because of the fact that he was a rookie, and now with this new offense, I think they just need to see what they can get out of these young guys in this rebuilding time, and if there's going to be somebody out there that's going to propel themselves from their, I think he was taken in the fifth round last year. If there's a fifth round receiver that's going to have a good enough situation, whatever I've seen out of him on tape, I really just think he's primed to have a ton of receptions, which is going to equal a ton of yards and hopefully a ton of touchdowns. And lastly on my list, I've got Michael Pittman, the receiver for the Colts. Now this comes right after the Carson Wentz trade after Carson Wentz was traded from Philly to Indianapolis. Now Pittman, I'd assume, is going to be the number one receiver, while T.Y. Hilton, if he gets re-signed, might still be a little bit more talented because of the age and because of what Pittman is able to do. I think that within this year, he'll definitely easily jump to that number one role and definitely, I think, will be an 1,000-yard receiver. They have a great O-line, a great defense, Hopefully they can, 
that Carson Wentz can show that he is the guy that's going to maybe not even get back to his MVP form, but at least be good enough to be a serviceable starter and get Pittman to the next stage of his career, which is definitely necessary. With Wentz at the helm, there's going to be a lot more deep passing than when Rivers was there. Uh, Wentz was with Frank Reich in Philly when he was in MVP, and now he's back with him in Indianapolis. I really just see Wentz being solid, but I see Pittman really emerging as this new number one option that can easily get 1,100, 200 yards, and 10-plus touchdowns in 2021. So that is it for my list of 15 players that I assume will break out this year. Now, the next little quick topic that I'm going to go into is about the situation of Aaron Jones, the running back for the Green Bay Packers, who is coming off of his second Pro Bowl-level season. He's been playing fantastic, and now the Packers are faced with a choice of whether they should re-sign him or not. And while on surface level, this just looks like another situation similar to the other running backs that are going to be available in free agency this year, I really don't think it is. And the biggest reason is because of history and because of what teams know. And if history will repeat itself in the same way or people are smart enough to take a step back now. Now I'm going to bring up some guys that got paid and, and in free agency and ended up not hitting the same way that people had hoped or that the team had hoped when they signed him. These are the four biggest free agents of the last two years were Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, and Mark Ingram. Four players that switched teams in free agency and ended up going to another team. All four of them, though, now, today, when we look at those four players, Todd Gurley has been cut by the Falcons and is no longer there. Mark Ingram has been cut by the Ravens. Melvin Gordon is being paid too much as a running back and is just as good, I would say, as Philip Lindsay, their receiver for, or their running back from the year prior, who rushed for a thousand yards as an undrafted player. And Le'Veon Bell, who wasn't even on the Jets for two seconds. He blinked and he was already on the Chiefs. So we have seen that the top guys in free agency, when they get paid these big amounts, don't equate to wins and don't even stay on the team for as long as they should be now this begs the question who's going to be the one to pull the trigger is the the teams that have consistently came up i feel like in talks are the jets the dolphins and the i'd say the cardinals are very high in the running for aaron jones I can assume that the Jets will not be one of the teams that are in the Aaron Jones sweepstakes, just knowing who Joe Douglas is as a general manager and seeing what we did with Le'Veon Bell and how that did not work. I don't think that they'll be in the running that deep. Maybe they make an initial offer, but what I could see happening is this weird up and down and up and down. It's starts with a team making an offer, the next team outbids, and the price continues to be driven higher. But as soon as it gets to the higher, I feel like teams are going to start to be scared and not want to pay, just given what they've seen in the past. I think that while this could be the new biggest contract for a running back in history because of his talent, because of what he's shown in his production, it could also be the worst contract in history. His last game playing, we saw him cough up a fumble, and in the playoffs, A.J. Dillon, a player in the second round that the Packers had picked up, 
literally did exactly what Jones has been doing so easily. And that's why the Packers will be so eager to just let Jones walk because they've got Dylan behind him who can do basically the exact same as what Aaron Jones was doing. What ultimately I think will happen is that one team is so dumb with all of their cap space and just says, hey, fuck it, you know what, I'm just going to pay this running back the elite running back salary, and hopefully he's the finishing puzzle piece in a puzzle that we need, but what will end up happening with that is that he's overpaid, and in two years' time, he's switching teams and or not a starting running back anymore. I vividly remember when he was an eh name, and they were like, oh, no, but it's the Packers starting running back. He needs, and so be it. He ended up producing. But th that just goes to show he wasn't this, like, highly touted product that was going to light up the league. He was behind this fantastic offensive line in this pack in this Green Bay system that's consistently worked for so many years and ended up shining. But then again, the backs have been shining. So I could really just think that, and I think that it's fair to think, especially given what's happened to all these other running backs, is that Aaron Jones will go through the same cycle where his career will now be on a decline. He's going to be looked at as the veteran, like, there for support guy rather than the all-pro, Pro Bowl-level guy that he's been recently. And he's really going to go down. That also puts other free agent running backs in an even worse place because it's going to make their mid-contracts turn into nothing contracts because they're going to look at what the highest ones were paid and see that. Again, that's only in the world where every team is regret is not going to pay Aaron Jones, where one of them obviously will eventually. They have to, but it's not going to come at a easy price and given what's happened the last few years it's going to be really hard for a team to look themselves in the mirror and say that this guy is worth what we're about to pay him it's going to be not worth it they're going to pay a little bit too much and another thing that i didn't even mention is the amount of years i could see that this contract being small and for one to two years which is so insane for a pro bowl player that's coming off of such a two productive super productive seasons is not going to be paid a lot for many years because that's just what we've seen in the NFL, and that's how it's going to end up being. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to episode three. I hope you guys really liked it. Please comment any other players that you think might break out. Comment where you think that Aaron Jones is going to go in free agency and what team is going to sign him, and whether it's going to be a long-term, wow, this was a great move for the future type move, or it's going to be something that ends up biting a team in the ass. Uh, I want to hear from you guys, and I'm still trying to figure out who I'm going to be getting for the coming podcast for interviews. N not anytime so soon, but hopefully within this offseason, I get a couple interviews under my belt and really make the most of me doing this podcast. So thank you guys so much for watching. Please tune into episode four. And again, if you have any other friends who are football nerds, fantasy football nerds, and really just want to speak football and be in a great community, Tell them about the Sauce Lab podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching. Have a fantastic day and peace.